From The Nation magazine, this is Start Making Sense. I'm John Wiener. Later in the show, Melania and Ivanka have been mostly absent from Trump's side as he rages against those 91 felony charges brought against him in four different trials. Amy Willens will comment on the news, the rumors, and the photos. But first, union organizing just got a historic boost. Harold Meyerson will explain in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Starfield. Embark on an epic journey through the stars in Bethesda Game Studios' first new universe in over 25 years. In this next-generation role-playing game, you decide who you are and what you will become. The most important story is the one that you tell. Captain your own ship as you venture through the settled systems, exploring over 1,000 planets while unraveling humanity's greatest mystery. For all, into the Starfield. Visit www.starfieldgame.com to learn more and pre-order. Rated M for Mature. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As Labor Day approaches, it's time to look at our hot labor summer, the most strikes and the most union action in a long time. For comment, we turn to Harold Meyerson. He's editor-at-large of the American Prospect. We reached him in our nation's capital. Hi, Harold. Good to be here as always. Well, the biggest event of our hot labor summer happened last Friday. It was not a strike. It was a ruling by the National Labor Relations Board. Tell us about that. Well, it was probably the most significant ruling by the National Labor Relations Board in the last half century. And what it addressed, which has been an ongoing concern of the board's uh, general counsel, a woman named Jennifer Abruzzo, is that the labor law has been so weakened by a set of court decisions and previous NLRBs and what have you, that it no longer really uh, performs the function for which the National Labor Relations Act was written, which was to allow workers to collectively bargain. The decision was in a case called CMEX, and it said two things. It radically changed the unionization process Uh, basically, by forbidding employers from doing all the illegal things they have been doing for half a century to deter workers. It said that when a majority of workers say they want to affiliate with unions, let's say by presenting cards that they've signed, the employer may choose to voluntarily recognize them. That, of course, has always been the case and is never, never (laughs) happens. Or the employer is compelled to request a board-certified election. What's really revolutionary is the second half of that ruling. It says that if the employer uses an unfair labor practice in the run-up to the election or during the election... Now, let me just interrupt here and ask, does it ever happen that employers use unfair labor practices in elections? Well, it's probably not 100% of the time, but it certainly is higher than 99% of the time. (laughs) And the most common unfair labor practice, as scholars have researched and documented, is firing uh, workers who want to unionize. That's against the law, but there are no effective penalties against it. 
So what the new ruling says that if the employer commits an unfair labor practice, the uh, board will uh, order the recognition of the union and order the immediate beginning of actually bargaining a contract. Wow. That is revolutionary. There was a law review article in uh, 2017, which documented that the number of unfair labor practices, which had been at about a thousand a year, then once this change happened in 1969, it quickly rose to more than 6,000 a year. And it then slowly declined. But the reason it declined was that unions were abandoning organizing workers because under the new rules, they knew they would. When John Sweeney ran an insurgent campaign uh, at the for the AFL-CIO presidency against the old meanie Kirkland regime, he documented that most unions were spending only 3% of their budgets on organizing. You know, and that 3% was a, a clear sign that they couldn't get around the labor rules. Well, the board accepted Jennifer Abruzzo's brief, and the rules have significantly changed. So if employers illegally fire pro-union workers in the lead up to elections, from now on, the NLIRB will order the employer to recognize the union and enter into bargaining revolutionary transformation for uh, American labor. Uh, but employers still have one powerful weapon in their anti-union arsenal. Tell us about that. They sure do. And that is that they can just refuse to come to terms in the bargaining. They can delay it. They can say, we'll think it over. They can say, we're busy now. Call us back in six months. All of this, of course, is, is again, a way to keep union, unionization at bay. The more recent versions of labor law reform bills, which have all failed to get past the 60-vote hurdle in the Senate, have included uh, language to mandate uh, a government arbitrator coming in and uh, imposing a contract if, if the bargaining go you know last for more than whatever it is 90 days or 180 days uh, but uh, un until congress passes uh, such legislation the employers still have an out nonetheless nonetheless this is coming at a time when as we know labor militants is at a new level this really is kind of suddenly a green light flashing to american unions saying hey this is the best time to organize since the late 1940s. And there's news about potent, more potential strikes. Uh, 150,000 auto workers voted to authorize a strike if the big three auto automakers don't sign a contract with the UAW by September 14th. What was the vote on authorizing an auto strike? Uh, it was 97% yes, uh, authorizing the strike. So that sounds pretty much like what you want in the way of uh, of solidarity. It, it, the UAW always had a slogan which ended solidarity in the ranks, and they got solidarity in the ranks. And I understand the biggest underlying issue in the potential auto worker strike and in the negotiations which have been underway all summer now involves the transition to electric vehicles, which the Biden administration has put a lot of energy and a lot of money and tax breaks behind. 
what does the union want and what what's happening on that front right now? Well, there are two issues about going to electric cars. One is that it takes fewer workers to produce electric cars, but also the companies are setting up plants that are joint ventures with experienced uh, lithium-ion battery uh, manufacturers who basically come from East Asia and saying, well, this isn't uh, for us to extend the contract to to these workers. They're, they're kind of on their own. And the union is saying, hey, building an electric car had better pay just as just as well as uh, building a, a gas-powered uh, car uh, has been. And this is, this is a major issue. And in the weeds of the Inflation Reduction Act and, and such, there are ways that the government can pressure companies to uh, unionize, building uh, electric cars or electric buses or what have you. And in fact, on, on Tuesday this week, there was a ruling out of the Treasury Department which went further than some other rulings, uh, pushing recipients of federal funding uh, to uh, basically allow their workers to go union. So, you know, we'll see where this ends up. Well, one of the key fronts in this battle over unionizing uh, the manufacture of electric vehicles is Georgia. There's a coalition of labor unions and civic groups in Georgia and in Alabama, the New York Times reported on Monday, launching a campaign to target Hyundai's electric vehicle plants and their suppliers, especially the battery manufacturers. Hyundai is building an electric car mega site outside Savannah. It's the largest economic development project in the history of Georgia. Hyundai is one of the world's largest automakers. It is non-union. It is expected to reap huge benefits from Biden's push to transition to electric vehicles. In Georgia, uh, Republican Governor Brian Kemp is providing $1.8 billion in tax subsidies for this new Hyundai megasite outside Savannah. It's the largest tax deal in the history of the U.S. auto industry, not just Georgia history, all of American history. Uh, the prospect reports that the construction contract for the new Hyundai electric vehicle plant did already go to a non-union firm, one that, by the way, has contributed heavily to Republicans. Uh, the UAW is one of the key unions in this campaign in Georgia about the uh, Hyundai, Hyundai megasite. Georgia, of course, is a key swing state for Biden in 2024. How much can the UAW ask for here? How much can the Biden administration ask for? I understand that this labor community coalition in Georgia is seeking what's called a community benefit agreement, a kind of a standard thing where the company is asked to promise to hire locally, to provide training for new workers, to protect the environment around the plants, to hire and promote women, minorities, and vets. I notice making these union jobs is not on that list. Uh, how does the UAW imagine this could be a win? Well, to begin with, Hyundai is a union company in its home country of South Korea. And all of the transplant factories of BMW and Mercedes and Volkswagen and Toyota and Hyundai and what have you are unionized in their home countries. They're just not unionized in the American South, as it were, 
uh, they uh, go along with the local anti-union uh, uh, folkways of uh, Dixie. What we see in the demands uh, that this coalition has put forth, this basically, I think, originates with a, a, an organization called Jobs to Move America, which not surprisingly is headed by a woman named Madeline Janice, who was the spark plug of the living wage movement, which also focused on community benefits. This is sort of your ultimate plan B. This is the best you can get when you can't actually affect unionization. But, 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 this was all put in place before Friday's NLRB ruling, which suggests to me that, among other things, the auto workers who have failed to unionize any of the Southern auto factories, all of which have involved campaigns doomed by unfair labor practices, see previous part of conversation. Yes. Uh, and so this is a rapidly changing landscape. Of course, <laughs> any, any change of landscape in the American South is probably for the good. So we'll see where the combination of these two significant developments can bring. I see that the UAW has not endorsed Biden for re-election yet. Uh, why not? Because they're holding out for more pressure to guarantee that these folks working in electric car facilities or electric car parts facilities go union. And, you know, Biden has been making speeches to that effect. And we're seeing, you know, some rulings from some of the government agencies that control the Inflation Reduction Act funds, which is mainly what's funding this huge growth in factories uh, around the country, where, where these rulings come down on the issue of unionization. And as I mentioned, the Treasury Department has just well under the radar issued some rulings which, which do promote unionization. So, you know, they are leaning on Biden. I mean, they're not going to endorse Trump that's or any Republican, but they are leaning on Biden to get as many union engendering rulings out of the various federal departments as possible. So if the auto workers do go on strike, it will be after uh, midnight on September 14th is the deadline they have set. The Hollywood strikes continue. 11,500 writers have been on strike for 120 days. 160,000 actors have been on strike for 42 days. News from the picket lines here in Los Angeles, where we record our show, is because of triple-digit heat in the Valley and Burbank. Pickets this week at Disney, NBC Universal, and Warner Brothers are being canceled. Members are encouraged to join the picket lines those days at Fox in West LA, uh, Netflix and Paramount in Hollywood, and Sony and Amazon in Culver City. The Writers Guild and the studios and streamers met last on August 18th. We're now, what, 10 days after that. Nothing has happened as a result of those meetings of, towards a settlement. The big news came recently when the Writers Guild raised the issue of antitrust enforcement by the government. The WGA predicts that if Disney, Amazon, and Netflix are allowed to continue producing their content themselves in-house, other streaming platforms will wither away or else end up bought by one of the big three. And indeed, this is something Wall Street is already demanding of them. And the WGA says there are historical precedents for antitrust action in this situation. Please explain. 
1948, when there were sort of the eight major traditional Hollywood studios, MGM, Fox, Warner Brothers, Paramount, etc., those studios made the movies and also owned large chains of movie theaters, some of them as many as 1,500 theaters around the country. And the Supreme Court ruled that you can't do that. This is a, a violation of antitrust. Then in the 1970s, a kind of less dramatic version of that happened when the three legacy networks, CBS, NBC, ABC, were restricted from producing many of the shows that they then aired. So there are two clear precedents that you can't have vertical monopolization controlling both distribution and production of the entertainment product. And the WGA's report on this made this very clear. And then the Biden appointee who heads the Federal Trade Commission, Lena Kahn, had made some comments saying, and she's sort of the leading antitrust enforcer slash reviver since antitrust really had been kind of a forgotten doctrine until Biden became president. You know, she, she, she's made some comments that, uh, yeah, this is something the FTC is going to look at. And that, I think, probably gives the studios more pause at this juncture than anything that uh, can happen on picket lines. Yeah, the Writers Guild says that the consolidation, the vertical integration of streaming and production is one of the root causes of low wages and deteriorating working conditions for writers, and of course also for actors. But how exactly would antitrust action or, or the threat of antitrust action help the writers and the actors in the current strike? Well, it would give them more possible employers if there's only a handful of employers and if those employers don't pay very much or do the things that are the at issue in the strike like not really paying very much for streaming and not hiring very many writers in what are so-called writers rooms you know the writers don't have any place else to go and and so there is for the first time in antitrust doctrine for a very long time under Lena Khan's FTC, concern for what concentration uh, inflicts upon workers, not just on consumers. Uh, so that's a new approach, sort of like reviving uh, the National Labor Relations Act standards of the 1940s. This is reviving antitrust standards of the New Deal, when the fate of workers managed as uh, mattered as much as the fate of consumers. So the auto workers may go on strike in September. The Hollywood writers and actors have been on strike, some of them since May. And then there's the Teamsters who settled without going on strike against UPS. That's the biggest uh, labor union event of the year for American uh, workers. 340,000 UPS workers voted uh, uh, recently to approve their new contract. It was 86% vote in favor of the new five-year contract. And this gives them more money, $750 an hour more by the end of the five-year contract. Starting pay for part-timers got bumped up to $21. They got the two-tier wage system eliminated. Uh, they ended forced overtime on driver's days off. They got a promise to equip uh, new trucks with air conditioning. And there's one more thing. UPS agreed 
If you look at this, this fine print on the news stories here, UPS agreed to a Teamsters demand to stop using driver-facing cameras in the brown trucks. What's that about? That's about the growth of employers' uh, 24-7 surveillance of their employees. The Teamsters had two goals uh, in this campaign. One was to get a really good contract for their own members, and that this would be a big deal because there are more unionized employees at UPS than there are at any other American company. And to help them roll, roll on this offensive to really the big target they have, which is Amazon and Amazon warehouse workers and truck drivers. And guess what is the company that does more visual electronic surveillance of their workers than any other company? It wasn't UPS, it's Amazon, where every breath that their <laughs> warehouse workers take is essentially recorded under the, uh, the technical term is Tayloristic uh, surveillance of their workers. And if uh, any one uh, aspect of the Teamster contract with UPS was also intended to tell Amazon workers, hey, you don't have to put up with this crap. It's the uh, the elimination of surveillance. You know, that, that I think will help. And it's going to take a union as big and as militant as the Teamsters with help from every other union to take on a behemoth like Amazon. And last but not least, I understand there's a new AFL-CIO poll on attitudes towards labor unions. Yes, and like all the recent polls, it shows that unions have a higher approval rating than just about any other American institution in the 70%. But one thing that struck me was that uh, on the poll, people who were from between the ages of 18 and 29 had an 88% approval rating for unions. I noticed this both because it was obviously so high and because in adding up the uh, unionization votes of all the university grad students in the last year and a half who have, uh, you know, who are TAs and RAs and who voted to go union, I calculated that 89% of those <laughs> grad students voted for unions, which really matches that 88% union approval rating among Americans between the ages of 18 and 29. This is generation union that we're talking about. Harold Meyerson, he writes about labor at the American Prospect. Thank you, Harold. Always good to be here, John. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you have sleep apnea and struggle with CPAP, consider that CPAPs were invented in 1980. Do you even remember 1980? Everyone's house had one telephone. There were like four TV channels. Come on. You played video games in arcades and watched movies in theaters. GPS was a folded map and a helpful gas station attendant. And social media was inviting the neighbors to come look at your vacation pictures. 
a lot has changed since 1980. Now, for people who struggle with CPAP, there's Inspire. Inspire is an implanted device that treats sleep apnea inside your body at the click of a remote. It's the only FDA-approved sleep apnea treatment of its kind. While you sleep, Inspire keeps you breathing normally and resting comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. To learn more, visit InspireSleep.com. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com. When a criminal is indicted for his crimes, it's not easy on the wife and kids. And it's even harder when the father's been charged with 91 felonies and is facing four separate trials with a possible 700 years in prison. But that's the situation facing Ivanka and Jared, Don Jr. and little Eric, along with Tiffany, and of course, Melania. For that story, we turn to Amy Willens. She's our chief Jared correspondent. She's best known for her work on Haiti. Most recently, the award-winning book, Farewell, Fred Voodoo. She was Jerusalem bureau chief for The New Yorker. She's a longtime contributing editor at The Nation, and she's a 2020 Guggenheim Fellow. Also, she teaches in the literary journalism program at UC Irvine. Amy, welcome back. Thank you, John. I'm so pleased to be here. Well, the first Trump indictments came down in April. These were around the Stormy Daniels hush money payments, $130,000, where Trump was charged with 34 felonies. That night, he called the family together to sit in the front row for a defiant speech at Mar-a-Lago. We have a picture of that uh, night. Who was there and who was not there? Well, first of all, it looks like a funeral. They're all dressed in black. They're forced to sit in the front row and stand for the photograph. It's very formal. So who was there? Well, Donald Jr. and his dark-haired, fulminating wife, Kim Guilfoyle, and Eric and his blonde wife, who you think at first could be Ivanka, and Tiffany and her husband. And one other strange person is in the lineup. There's a figure who does not have the super slender, sim-like look of the other Trump family. And this is Victor Naus. He's not often summoned for full front and center photos by Trump. He's Melania's father. And apparently he's the only member of his wife's family Trump could scrounge up for this. He looks somewhat at sea among the tall blonde zombies. <laughs> but in his rambling speech that evening, Trump thanked the entire family, including the absent Ivanka, but he did not mention the absent Melania. He said, I have a son here who's done a great job, and I have another son here who's done a great job. And Tiffany and Ivanka and Barron will be great someday. He is tall. He is tall and he's smart. But Ivanka was not there. And Barron might be tall and in the future great, but he also was not there. <laughs> okay. Ivanka wasn't there and Melania wasn't there. Of course, the Stormy Daniels hush money payments have special significance, especially for Melania. While Trump was having sex with Stormy Daniels at Lake Tahoe, she had recently given birth to their son, Baron. Uh, what have we learned about her reaction to the indictment? She apparently wrote many emails to her lawyer in the wake of the revelations about the hush money, et cetera. And the New York DA has attempted to obtain those email messages. Supposedly, they contain threats of divorce, as well as other humiliating or scandalous information 
that Melania has about her husband's affairs and business dealings. But so far, the New York DA's request to gain access to those messages has been denied. We'll see if a new framing of the request can can pass muster with the judge who denied those so far. And of course, no daughter is happy when it's international news that her father paid hush money for sex with a porn star. What do we know about Ivanka's reaction to the Stormy Daniels news? Yeah, I I guess she thought about the uh, indictments and she didn't really want to address them themselves. So she said in a statement that she released, I love my father and I love my country today. I am pained for both. Being pained for both, she's pained that her country has to endure the news about her rotten father. (laughs) Well, one could interpret it many ways. One could interpret it also. I love my father. He's no good. I also love my country and I'm great. (laughs) Okay, well, that's... Future Trump. Now, this reminds us of the statement she made back in November 2022 when Trump had announced he was running for re-election. This was two years ahead of of the election. Pretty unusual uh, early start for an announcement, which was widely understood to be a move against prosecutors who were at that point preparing to indict him. He thought it would be harder to prosecute a former president while he was running for re-election. What was uh, the reaction of Ivanka to her father's announcement that he was running again? It started the same way. Maybe she starts every sentence. I love my father, but this time around, I'm choosing to prioritize my young children and the private life we are creating as a family. And who can argue with family values? Well, then in June came Trump's second indictment. This was 40 felony charges for violating the Espionage Act by refusing to turn over classified documents after he left office. These included papers detailing America's nuclear weapons programs, plans to respond to a foreign attack, and potential weak points in U.S. defenses. What do we know about Melania's reaction to that one? 40 more felonies, bringing the total at that point to 74. She hasn't made any public statement about this, but um, she does seem to continue to be keeping her distance from his messes. After the second indictment was handed down, page six reported that Melania is in a a wait and see position. She knows what she signed up for. He'll either be in prison or be president or both. (laughs) He'll either be in prison or be president or both. That's a very healthy way to look at it. And then came the third indictment. These were the federal charges brought by Jack Smith about Trump's conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election. And then, of course, the fourth set of charges were the RICO charges in Georgia, bringing the total to 91. What did we learn about Melania's reaction after all that? People had the headline, Melania sees it as a problem for her husband, not for her. Well, the subsequent indictments, two, three, and four, did not bring Trump to call the family together again for more defiant speeches and pictures at Mar-a-Lago. He he did that on his social media platform and in his campaign speeches. We haven't said anything about Don Jr. or little Eric. Have they stayed away from politics the way Ivanka and Jared have? Don Jr. and his longtime girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, They uh, tried to get into the spin room after the Republican debate, but they were denied access. 
Yet she went on to defend Trump, probably showing the way she would have spun the story. And she just made a very interesting argument about how her boyfriend's father shouldn't be charged with racketeering. She said, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Okay, can you imagine RICO? Okay, violations. Even John Gotti never had four indictments at once. There's no mob boss, let alone they do this to President Trump. How is that a defense of Trump? Isn't she saying Trump is even worse than John Gotti? <laughs> it does, does seem to be the case, yes. Crazy. And we haven't said anything about the other daughter, Tiffany, who is, of course, the daughter of Trump and Marla Maples. Where has Tiffany been in any of the news about all of this? Well, Tiffany, the oft-rejected daughter, managed to get married uh, recently, and um, it was unfortunate for her that it was the day after the midterm elections when uh, most, if not all, of Donald Trump's preferred candidates lost. And as we know, Donald Trump doesn't like to lose. So it kind of cast a pall over the Tiffany celebrations that otherwise might have been more festive, having a uh, growling father-in-law. So the day after Trump's big defeat in the midterms was Tiffany's wedding. And then the day after his fourth indictment, the RICO charges in Georgia, was a big event for Ivanka and Jared. Tell us about that. That was the bat mitzvah of their eldest daughter, Arabella. Your uh, favorite. My personal favorite, Trump. What do we know about Trump's uh, role in, in the bat mitzvah? Did he go to the synagogue? Trump was startlingly unpresent, both at the synagogue and at the reception afterward. But he and Melania did throw a birthday party for for Arabella beforehand at Mar-a-Lago. So celebrating on his turf, but not on their turf. Yes, keeping it his own and not participating, if I may say so, in the Jewish portion of the festivities. So there's been some more news about Ivanka and Jared since then. She had announced, as you said, that she would not be part of the uh, re-election campaign. At, at the time she made that announcement, Ron DeSantis was doing really well. He, he had just been re-elected Florida governor by a huge margin. He, the polls showed him in some, in some places, like in Texas, Republicans preferred DeSantis over Trump by more than 10 points, and the Murdoch tabloids said had a headline that, that read, De Future, referring to DeSantis. But now some polls show Trump tied with Biden in popular support, which raises a problem for Ivanka and Jared. If he's elected again, shouldn't they be part of this? Will they go back to work in the White House? Won't they want to defend their standing in that machine as opposed to um, choosing the, to prioritize their young children and the private life they are creating as a family? And what we saw was that that distance could change as the polls change. Vanity Fair reported about Trump's mid-July private screening of the, the notorious child trafficking movie, Sound of Freedom, uh, which he gave at his Bed Bedminster Golf Club. And it was a, a big kind of gala affair, the kind of thing Ivanka doesn't like to miss, opportunity for a new gown, et cetera. Then um, the guest list included the star, QAnon promoting star, Jim Cavazil, and other MAGA figures like Steve Bannon and Carrie Lake. 
but it also included Jared and Ivanka. And this was the big uh, news of the evening that they had come to an event essentially for her father. And what was the speculation in Vanity Fair about why this would be an important step for Jared as well as Ivanka? Jared wants is very concerned about guarding his standing in the Middle East after he made a peace in the Middle East, according to him. He uh, then left the White House and he received, after they left power, he received a $2 million investment. $2 billion. I always forget Middle East standards. <laughs> million, it is $2 billion from Mohammed bin Salman, who is the head of Saudi Arabia. And that kind of investment you like to see continuing to come in. So if Trump is in the White House, it would be it would be shocking to all Trump watchers if Jared could possibly keep a decent distance from that pattern. Bringing it up to the present, the news last week was that Melania was privately, quote, seething in fury, close quote, over a social media post of Donald's. Tell us about that. He posted, his his organization posted a, a photo of Barron behind a debate podium with the caption, in an effort to level the playing field, Barron Trump will debate Joe Biden. Uh, the post got nearly 20,000 likes, and it made Melania furious because she and Donald have a longstanding agreement to keep Barron out of the public eye as much as possible. This seemed a clear violation. He's 17 years old. An unnamed insider told the website Radar Online that Melania has been incredibly protective of Barron and has told Donald she won't stand for him to be exploited by anyone, including his father. He made a promise to protect their son and he broke it. This source goes on to say there's a good chance she won't forgive him and the next time we see them together may be in divorce court. In fact, the last time she appeared with him was at the, the birthday party before the bat mitzvah. So there's talk about Melania divorcing Donald Trump. I guess we all need a divorce from Donald Trump. So Melania kind of points the way here. Amy Willens. Thank you, Amy. It's great to have you back on the show. Thanks, John. Start Making Sense, a podcast from The Nation magazine, is co-produced by the LA Review of Books and recorded in Los Angeles at our Blythe Avenue studios. Renee Reynolds is our associate producer. Alan Minsky is our producer. Ludwig Hurtado is our executive producer. D.D. Guttenplan is editor of The Nation. Bhaskar Sunkara is president of The Nation. And Katrina Vandenhuvel is publisher and editorial director of The Nation. Our theme music is from Barcelona Afrobeat, licensed by Creative Commons. You can find out more about Start Making Sense at thenation.com. And subscribe to Start Making Sense on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Find your purpose at Metropolitan College of New York. Choose a degree that will advance your career. Start your bachelor's or master's degree in human services, education, healthcare, emergency management, business, public affairs, IT, and more. MCNY offers accredited programs in online and hybrid formats. Join our webinar to learn about student support, career placement, scholarships, and financial aid. Classes begin September 11th. Learn more at mcny.edu slash fall23.